Quality sleep is essential. That's why the Sleep Number Smart Bed is designed for your ever-evolving sleep needs. Need a bed that's firmer or softer on either side? Helps you sleep at a comfortable temperature? Sleep Number Smart Beds let you individualize your comfort, so you sleep better together. J.D. Power ranks Sleep Number number one in customer satisfaction with mattresses purchased in-store. And now, save 50% on the Sleep Number Limited Edition Smart Bed for a limited time. For J.D. Power 2023 award information, visit jdpower.com awards. Only at a Sleep Number store or sleepnumber.com. Hey, it's Ryan Reynolds, and I'm here with Keith, co-star of my upcoming film, If, only in theaters May 17th. Do you want to tell people the big news? All right, I'll do. Sign up now and you'll get unlimited for $15 a month in six months of Paramount Plus Essential Plan on us. Mintmobile.com slash switch. Upfront payment of $45 equivalent to $15 per month. Unlimited over 40 gigabytes per month. Face lower speeds. Videos at 480p. Active Mint customers by 531.24 get six months of Paramount Plus Essential Plan. Auto renews after six months. Offer ends May 31st, 2024. Separate Paramount Plus registration required. Terms and conditions apply if rated PG. Hi, I'm Helen. And I'm Sarah. And this is the Squiggly Careers podcast, where each week we talk to you about a topic to help you with the ups and downs and ins and outs of your career, to give you some ideas for action and also just a little bit of support along the way to help you with some of the challenges that we all face in our squiggly careers. And this week, we're talking about a topic we know resonates because we asked our community about it. And that is the idea of people pleasing and how we can stop it from getting in our way at work. So let's just start off with what it is, why we do it, because let's face it, most of us do it at some point. And then we will, as always with the podcast, spend the majority of our time thinking about how do we stop doing it or maybe just do it a bit less might be a more realistic ambition. So people pleasing is when you put other people's needs ahead of your own. And we do it often to seek approval from other people. And it is really worth watching a School of Life video that we'll link to in the resources, which does go a bit deeper into the psychology behind people pleasing, because often it's a behaviour that we learn when we're a kid, but then we unconsciously bring it into our kind of grown up life, almost without realising that's what's happening. And it is possible to be pleasant and helpful and kind and caring without being a people pleaser. I think maybe those are the two almost contradictions that perhaps we have in our minds when we're thinking about these things is we want to still be all of those really good qualities, but without feeling like we're always putting other people's needs ahead of our own. Because if we do that, that's when you feel emotionally drained, it's when you get really stressed, you feel really burnt out. And we asked people on Instagram, how many of you recognize this as a behavior in yourself? And it was like over 80%. So pretty much everyone said, I would describe myself as a people pleaser at least some of the time. And people were giving lots of examples of how that shows up for them. So Helen, if you were in that Instagram poll, I don't know if you answered (laughs) answered our own Instagram poll. So would you describe yourself as a people pleaser? And if and when you do, how does that show up for you? Oh, do you know that's so two big questions. One's easier than the other. I don't know if I'd say I was a people pleaser, but that's because I feel like, gosh, I'm not sure you I don't want, want that. to be one. I, that's, yeah, so yeah, I don't know <laughs> if I want that badge. Um, do I do people pleasing? Yes, <laughs> which is the slightly easier answer. I was thinking about it actually, like when do I do it, and when, and not just 
I was sort of like, when does it get in my way? When is it too much? Mm. When does it hold me back? And I was thinking about, I remember a situation, it was pre-pandemic and I was Pre-pandemic, doing, I know, life. I know, pre-pandemic. I know, a live pre-pandemic. <laughs> but it was really specific because I was doing a lot of in-person training. And so we'd be doing these full in-person all day career development courses to sort of 60, 70 people in a room. And it's quite intense. And Sarah and I would do those on our own. And I remember this you know, one particular situation and it was a group, yeah, about 60, 70 people. And I've been doing the training and basically what had happened is, you know, in a training session, you will have breaks in the day because everyone needs breaks for their brain, including me. However, I was being so helpful that when people were coming to me and saying, oh, you know, Helen, can I have a chat with you about that thing you talked about in the break? I was like, Yes, of course, of course. And then, you know, someone say, oh, Helen, at lunchtime, can I just sit with you and go through that thing? And I would be like, oh, I don't know if I want to say no to them and I want to help them. And I, you know, I want basically people pleasing, but at the cost of my own resilience, basically, because those mm. those breaks were for me as well as them so that I could be at my best in the room. And what was happening was not only was I quite tired because I did have I had no recovery time in that day. I was also a bit exposed to their emotions. So I remember, you know, in that day, someone was particularly upset and I, and I could have helped that person, but it didn't have to be then and there because that then meant that the other 69 people in the room didn't have the best of me. And it's a very hard balance to manage, but I think my people pleasing trumped my perspective in that situation. Yeah. And the only reason I was really aware of it was because I, I happened to have the next day a coaching session with somebody <laughs> with like someone was coaching me. I remember it was in a car park in Crawley or somewhere because it was the, <laughs> the only slot I had was like in my car on the way to somewhere. I was talking to her coach and I was explaining this and she was basically saying, you know, you need to build better boundaries so that you can be at your best. And it really made me think, oh, I think I was doing a bit of people pleasing and that and that wasn't that wasn't getting it in my way. And I've also seen it a little bit more recently, actually, when I was having a conversation with someone and they seemed to be like taking offense at something that I was saying. Mm-hmm. And I know, and I, I don't and I don't think I'm a particularly offensive person, but I was like, Oh, I, I went away from that thinking, oh, what did I do wrong? How what what why was that person so sensitive to what I was saying? But then I think I got a bit of perspective on it and realized that their sensitivity was more about them and less about me. And so I think if I had been an out and out people pleaser in that situation, I would have taken on all of their sensitivity as something that I had done. And even though it was my initial reaction, I actually was able to get a bit of perspective and say, I think that might have been more about them on that day than something that I was thinking or saying. And so that's why I'm saying I'm not, I don't think I'm a people pleaser all the time. I think sometimes I have the perspective that gives me the ability to sort of move on from a moment and do what might be right for me. But there are also some situations where I think I go too far in supporting or helping or pleasing other people and it puts myself in not not at my best. Does that make sense? It does make sense. And also your natural personality of being a doer, someone who wants to take action, your default is to try and do do something, you know, to say yes, to be helpful. And so often when we're trying out new behaviours to stop some of this people-pleasing, I think it will feel counterintuitive for us, depending on how your people-pleasing shows up. You're probably going to have to try something that doesn't feel very comfortable and is, is, and is a change in what you would typically do. And that is that is always hard, which is why it's one of those things that we we often keep coming back to is maybe we know it about ourselves, but we're not sure what to do. I think often that's the gap with people pleasing. So do you do it? And if so, when do you do it? Are you a people pleaser? <laughs> well, initially I, I thought no, 
And then I started to read, I've read and watched quite a lot of articles about people pleasing preparing for this podcast, because initially, I wouldn't describe myself certainly in the way that you had. And I don't think I like to think I am helpful, but I don't think I default to yes in the same way that you do. Helpfully harsh. Joking. Joking. (laughs) Which is probably more true, to be honest. I feel like I do sometimes come out of these podcasts really badly. (laughs) But the more I researched one of the way people pleasing shows up and then I read it and thought, well, this is 100% me. And I think of lots of examples of doing this is to keep everybody happy and to please people you say yes and you agree when in your head the answer is no or you disagree and so I really hate conflict and I've always found that really difficult and it's something I've worked really hard on in my career of how can I disagree with people constructively and usefully and still stay engaged in those conversations my people pleasing is most likely to show up in those moments of maybe heated debate or when we're under maybe you and I are disagreeing and there's the extra level of pressure maybe a time pressure or you know we've got to make a decision quite quickly and I think I would just say yes when I thought no and not only that I then think my behavior might become unhelpful (laughs) because I then think people might almost misunderstand some of my behavior because I might get a bit almost like grumpy or a bit aggressive or be a bit out of character and I don't think people would necessarily know what's gone on in my head in that moment because I've had feedback before that people do see me as being relatively calm and quite pragmatic and so I might agree with someone and they might just really take that at face value which is absolutely (laughs) fair enough but in my head there's a bit of a thinker spiral going on where I'm like well I'm just saying yes to keep this person happy to kind of please them but I don't agree, but I sort of, I'm not going to say anything about it. And then I sort of get in a really unhelpful spiral. It's um, so funny because I always think... And I mean, I think of us doing that yesterday, to be honest. So I don't find it that hard to think of examples. I, I just think any time that you say yes to me quickly, it's normally because you're too tired to say no. Because any time that you can debate a point or think it through a bit longer than I want to, you will. And so anytime I get a quick yes, I never really think you're... Well, you maybe are people pleasing, but I think you feel like you're also just... You're just also just exhausted of discussing a point. <laughs> so I think people-pleasing for me does come from conflict or criticism. Again, that's quite a common example when you start to dig into how people-pleasing shows up. I think it was more of a challenge for me in my career, sort of earlier in my career, and perhaps actually in some of the other organisations I worked in, where you're working with a wider range of people and I was still trying to figure out like how I found my way through difficult conversations. I think with you and I, it's a bit different. Mm. And partly that's because we have, because we know each other so well and we have such a high trust team. And I was thinking as we go through these behaviours, and we're going to start talking about them more specifically, when you have a high trust team, so you're in an environment where you feel sort of safe and secure to be yourself, I think your people-pleasing tendencies are less likely to show up because I am more likely, because I feel good about our relationship, to think it's okay to challenge, it's okay to say no and to have a difficult conversation because I've got that sort of psychological safety. So I was thinking I feel like those kind of psychological safety, low psychological safety and high people-pleasing, I've got zero evidence for this, but I feel like they would be you'd see a correlation between those those two sets of behaviours. Yeah, I agree, because you can be your full self 
and say all of what you think without sort of like a fear of repercussion in our relationship. But that's based on 20 years and talking and messaging each other kind of constantly throughout a day, isn't it? There's not, there's very little doubt in how we're feeling or what we're saying. And we repair that quite fast. Whereas in mm. when I've been in corporate organisations, you might not, we definitely wouldn't be so close to some of those people. And also you might, you might not be able to repair that friction quite so quickly because maybe it might be, you know, a week before you have that conversation again. So yeah, I, I agree. I can see that relationship. The way that we wanted to structure the conversation to help you with people pleasing is talk about eight ways that people pleasing shows up at work. And when I go through these eight different ways, maybe think for yourself, which one of these feels familiar to you? You could even give them like a rag status or give a score one to 10 so that you can see not only which one feels familiar, but how much of a people pleasing challenge it might be for you. And then what Sarah and I are going to do is go through an idea for action for each of them. So if you've got one or two or three of these factors that feel familiar, you have one, two or three actions you can take away from the podcast so you can stop people pleasing holding you back and if you don't know what a rag status is because i do appreciate not everyone might do i think that's very understandable just red amber green so i think rather than just seeing all of these behaviors as equal i suspect for most of us there are some that show up more frequently than others or feel harder for you to overcome or perhaps feel like they are getting in your way in a more significant way that you really want to focus on. So it's just trying to, it's not trying to listen to these things we're going to talk about and adopting them all and going, yes, yes, I do that. <laughs> and that yes, one. I do that and I can do that. It's more about going, well, which one of these is the best place for you to start? Because we don't want to keep people pleasing. It's not good for us. And ultimately, it isn't good for the people around us either. And just so that you know, we've summarised all of these, these eight different factors and the ideas for actions on the pod sheet. So just listen now and think it through and you can download the pod sheet, which you can get from the link on the description or from our website at amazingif.com. And then you can kind of do all your ticking and taking your actions away afterwards. So here are the eight different factors. Number one, you're a people pleaser if you say yes to things when you want to say no. Number two, you say sorry a lot, even when it's not your fault. Number three, you don't share your thoughts and feelings in case it hurts someone, even when you might have been hurt by them. Number four, you avoid conflict and criticism. Number five, you don't maintain healthy boundaries. And that might be in terms of your time or maybe in terms of your emotions. Number six, you take on more than you can manage rather than asking for help or delegating to others. Number seven, you change your personality to fit in with the people around you. And number eight, you base your sense of worth on other people's validation. Oh, Ooh, no, what a I've, list. Got new, I've got a new one. I was like, oh, oh no. no. Which one? You're not supposed to adopt them. Which one have you just I know. adopted? I, just, I was just thinking, oh, yeah, okay. Well seven definitely in my career earlier in my career where you know you change your personality to fit in with others and I once remember Poppy Jamin who is a brilliant lady she ran Mental Health England and she talked about the mistake she made in her career was that she was too much of a chameleon which essentially you know you're sort of you're fitting Mm. in too much and I I can think of loads of examples of doing that of being someone I wasn't because I I was just trying to fit in and belong and felt like there was a right way to behave or to dress or just to be 
And then I think eight, sometimes I still base my sense of worth on others' validation. I'd not really clocked that that was to do with people-pleasing. And I'm trying really hard to work on that and to get validation from myself and to try oh, <laughs> to not... give you a hug. <laughs> Well, just to be a bit less needy, I think it's really needy. So I, I sort of hadn't made the association with that and people pleasing. But I guess that means that sometimes you take action or you maybe do certain things because you want the praise. So you perhaps do the wrong things or in the wrong order more just because you want the positive validation versus going, I am a good enough judge at yes, what I need 100%. to do and my work. And I know that work is good. Of all of them, actually, I think that eight is probably the one that I need to work on most right now that one feels most relevant for me I still find I know you're not meant to read reviews but I read every single one of our book reviews (laughs) the exact opposite of what everyone says you should do and like I still really struggle with you know when one person leaves a review that is not a good review and I just I think about it for days and I'm like oh no and then I want to get in touch with that person (laughs) and I want to explain to them and if you think about you're like I mean get over it and get over yourself I think is is my message message there but I yeah that's the one that I as we go through I'm going to be like right what can I do on that one Uh, mine are different so to your point I think in different points in my career I've had most of these but right now mine would be number five you don't maintain healthy boundaries mainly in terms of time actually rather than the emotion one now and number six you take on more than you can manage rather than asking for help or delegating they're the two that probably get in my way that I could work on a bit more Hey, it's Danny Pellegrino from Everything Iconic. Ready to upgrade your style game without blowing your budget? Check out Quince. They've got all the good stuff, shirts and polos, activewear and fine leather goods, all at 50 to 80% less than other high-end brands. And the best part? They're all about safe, ethical and responsible manufacturing. Get that luxury vibe without the luxury price tag. Hit up quince.com slash upgrade for free shipping and 365-day returns on your next order. That's quince.com slash upgrade. Many of us have those stubborn pounds that seem impossible to lose, no matter how good we eat or how hard we work out. My solution is Plush Care. Plush Care is a leading telehealth provider with doctors who are there for you day and night to partner with you in your weight loss journey. They can prescribe FDA-approved weight loss medications like Wagovi and Zepbound for those who qualify. Plus, they accept most insurance plans. To get started, visit plushcare.com slash weight loss. That's plushcare.com slash weight loss. Hiring for your small business? If you're not looking for professionals on LinkedIn, you're looking in the wrong place. That's like looking for your car keys in a fish tank. LinkedIn helps you hire professionals you can't find anywhere else, even those who aren't actively searching for a new job but might be open to the perfect role. In a given month, over 70% of LinkedIn users don't even visit other leading job sites. So start looking in the right place. With LinkedIn, you can hire professionals like a professional. Post your free job on linkedin.com slash achieve today. So what we're going to do now is take each of those eight factors, talk about the consequence of doing nothing so that if you continue people pleasing in this way, what's the kind of outcome of that for you and your career? Partly to give you the motivation to do something different. And in terms of the doing something different, we've got an idea for action for you. So I will start with number one. And that one was saying yes when you really want to say no. 
And the consequence of that continuing for you in your career is that you're not going to do your most important work. So the work that is meaningful, motivating and important to you because you're going to get bogged down with lots of other people's work. You're going to be managing lots of other people's monkeys to the topic of a conversation that we've covered recently. So the thing for you to try instead is to create a pause. So pausing before you say yes. This is proven to improve your decision making. It could be as simple as saying, let me come back to you on that. There's anything that can give you just a moment to reflect on, is this the right thing for you to do? Is it the right thing for you to be doing right now? And you can ask for some more information. So that could also be part of your pausing. You could say, okay, let me just think about this. Can you tell me a bit more about what it is you need doing and when it needs doing by and what it's contributing towards? So sometimes just getting a bit more information can create a bit of that pause. And you really want to just take it away before you come back. And you might choose to say yes, but you've chosen to say yes very consciously. Or you might say, actually, I've thought about it. And if I am going to take that on, then something else needs to come away from the work that I'm doing. Or I've thought about it, given the information. And I actually think that if that's the skill that you need, there might be someone better in the team to support. And it it just gives you that moment in time to go back and confidently say yes, or clearly say no. So the second area was about over-apologising. And if we continue to over-apologise, it undermines our gravitas and it reduces your self-belief at the same time. So it has an impact on you and how you feel, but also on how you're perceived by other people. So the idea for action here is watch out for those words that cloud clarity. Become more almost consciously incompetent. And figure out for you, what does that look like? Do you use the word sorry? Do you use just? Do you use I think? One that I do, and it's not directly apologising. If I've described something to people, I end those explanations by saying, does that make sense? But in a very like, it's very hard to say no to to that question, isn't it? Like, who's going to go? Like, no one ever goes, no, sorry, actually, Sarah, you'd like, I lost you about five minutes ago. It's a sort of slightly nuanced over apology, but that is how it does show up for me. It's almost like it's kind of clouding clarity. It doesn't ask, it's not a useful question. And I think it does undermine the quality of the conversations and probably my self-belief in that moment because I feel the need to say, does it, does it make sense? So number three was about when you're people pleasing and you're sort of afraid to share what you're thinking because you're worried that if you do, then other people might think badly of you or, you know, whatever, whatever the story you're telling yourself in your head is. And the issue there of that continuing is frustration will accumulate because you're still thinking these thoughts. You're just not giving them any kind of outlet. And rather than sort of letting them go, they are taking up mental headspace and they will be preventing you, you putting that effort and energy onto slightly more productive things. And so what can help here, sort of the idea for action, if this is the challenge for you, is to use a bit of a structure that can help you to frame your feelings. Because it it can be hard to get them out of your head, particularly if you're a bit of a thinker and maybe that reflection can sort of turn into rumination. A simple structure that you can use to give your your thoughts a bit of clarity can also help you to share what you're feeling with other people. So the one that we like is COIN and that's an acronym that stands for C, context, O, observations, 
I impact and N need. So let's say I've had an argument with Sarah or we've been in a bit of a discussion and it's really bothered me because Sarah said something and I feel a bit offended by what she said. Now I'm really worried about saying that to Sarah because I don't want to hurt her feelings and it's going round and round and round and round in my head. What I could do is use the coin structure just to get my thoughts together. So the context might be we're working on a lot at the moment and we're both feeling a little bit tired. The O would be I've observed that we are not spending as much time together talking about what we're doing. We're communicating a lot over WhatsApp. And the impact of that is I think that we are doing short, sharp text messages that sometimes feel a bit blunt when we're sharing our own opinions. And Is this your way of doing live feedback again? No, I'm just, I'm just <laughs> doing an example I'm that's just, just using a out live of the and air. relevant example, Sarah, for our audience. <laughs> no, no, genuinely no. Um, but the end, the end would be for need. What I really need is where we've got some point of disagreement or something that we think we need to discuss. Let's take it off WhatsApp and pick up the phone. And that just yeah, good, good just, advice. Yeah, just thinking it through. Um, <laughs> But that helps me to kind of go, oh, actually, that doesn't feel quite so scary now I've structured it. And it, it gives me the confidence to talk about it with Sarah as well. Number four, all about avoiding conflict and criticism. So this is where, you know, you don't have constructive conversations that might involve debate or kind of tough discussion. And the consequence, if we continue doing that, and I, I know this, having done this for quite a long time, is that you limit your learning because you don't, benefit from other people's ideas and their input and you miss out you miss out on making things even better by having some of those hard conversations so an idea for action here if this feels like you or you find this hard and I still find this hard I still have to work really hard to make this happen so rather than avoiding conflict and criticism Instead, we can try inviting that conflict and criticism, which might sound like madness if this is something you find hard. But the reason this works so well is you feel more in control. So often conflict and criticism is particularly hard if you're surprised by it, if you didn't know that it was coming. But you can take control by creating an environment where you're inviting people to essentially disagree with you. So this can look like you know, challenge and build conversations. You can sometimes even name the conversations. And that might just be with one person where you think, I feel like they'll almost enjoy having a different point of view to me or enjoy offering a different perspective. And you can ask them some really good questions like, why do you think this idea might not work? But certainly it's helped me to actually think really proactively about inviting different points of view. So number five was all about having no boundaries. So the impact of not maintaining any boundaries, let's say you have them, but you compromise them all the time, is that it can have negative impacts on other aspects of your life. So for example, one of mine might be someone's like, oh, Helen, can you come to this event in the evening? And I think, oh, but I really want to see the kids. I didn't see them last night because I did something else. I should see them. And I almost think, oh, but I'll say no to it. And I'll basically say yes to somebody else, but I compromise my own personal life because of my inability to say no because I want to be a people pleaser and that can over the long term it can affect your relationships it can reduce your mental health it can affect your physical health you know I might be thinking like genuinely I know that doing exercise in the week is a really good thing for me to do actually mentally not just physically but by saying yes to other people because I don't protect that boundary I'm sort of saying no to myself <laughs> and that can really create an issue over the long term 
And so I was reading about how to, because this is one of my, this is one of my challenges. So <laughs> I was reading. I did a bit more research a, on this a one. Bit, a bit of extra research on this one, just for me, everybody. And part of the challenge is when you say to somebody, oh, I can't do that, or I can't go to that event, or I can't make that meeting, people might find ways to work around your can't. Well, maybe you could if you did this, and it can be hard yeah. to maintain that boundary. But apparently a much more confident thing, which I'm going to experiment with, is saying, I don't. So for example, I might say, oh, I don't take calls after 5.30 because that's when I go home to do my exercise rather than just, oh, I can't do that tonight. Or I don't go out more than two nights in the week because I want to be there more than I'm not to put my kids to bed. And that use of I don't, if you can find a way to use it that feels like you, you know, I think you've got to do it in a way that sounds like you and feels like you, but ultimately I don't rather than I can't is the important word to add into there. It can be much more confident and it can help you to protect that boundary much more. So I thought that was a really simple language twist that could have quite a big impact. Yeah, I like that. And I, I can imagine using that, you know, maybe when you're thinking about like working in the evening or when you're trying to protect time in a day, like I always really like protecting time to go for a walk. If you were like, I don't work, you know, between 12 and one, because that's the time I always go for a walk every day. It's just like, you just don't you do just that. accept it, don't you? Like, oh, okay. If you said I don't, I'd be yeah. like, oh. Whereas if you said I can't, I might think, well, you could. <laughs> you, you could, could. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. yeah. And let me tell you how you could. <laughs> yeah. You could take me with you on your walk. <laughs> Yeah, you probably, I could actually really imagine you saying that. So let's not do that. <laughs> so number six is when you take on too much yourself. So you end up probably managing your own monkeys, managing everybody else's monkeys, and you're doing it all yourself. And that's where we get overwhelmed. Also, other people can't learn how to help you. If you end up taking everything on, you become the bottleneck. People can't support you. And you personally miss out on the opportunity to stretch yourself in new directions because you're so busy doing everyone's work as well as your own. You have no space. You have no space to do new stuff or to try things out or to experiment. And that's how we explore new potential. So topically, Helen and I have been talking about this one a bit because we recognise that in the company that we both run together, sometimes Helen ends up doing lots of things for and our company which we are all very grateful for but it does end up meaning that she does a lot of things herself and sort of adds on to her to-do list which doesn't give her any freedom which is her number one value and doesn't give her the space to stretch herself as I just described and when we've worked through this really practically we think it's unrealistic to just move from you know you're doing this all yourself and kind of managing doing more than you can manage to oh we'll just stop doing that I don't I don't think anyone just makes that sort of change overnight And so we wondered if it's more helpful to do a reframe that goes something like, so at the moment you're doing it yourself, you need to transition to doing something together. And then the final transition is then you don't do it. So let's say I go to Helen and say, oh, could you just sort this stuff out on Instagram for me? Here's like the picture, but can you just write the copy and can you sort that out? So Helen's default might be, yes, I'm going to take on more than I can manage and just do it, do it myself. What then Helen might start to do is say to me, okay, well, I know the reason that you're asking me to do that is because you don't know how to use some of the Instagram functionality. This is is a true (laughs) example. In Helen's head, she will think, well, it's faster for me to do this because Sarah doesn't know that functionality. And she would be right. So Helen might still end up doing it that next time, but she's sort of upskilling me along the way. Or maybe we're doing it together sort of at the same time. So Helen says, well, let's find... 15 minutes together 
you can still post it, but I will walk you through it sort of step by step. So we'll kind of do that together. Do you know, listening to you, this is the point about some of this stuff feeling uncomfortable because it will, because it's not natural. I will always think, oh, sure, A, I want to help and B, I'll think I could do it faster. And so it definitely takes that moment to just go, but that that isn't the right solution for the rest of my career. I'm going to be doing everything for everyone and that doesn't make anything better. No, but I think you you pick and choose, right? You don't probably do this all the time and every time because that would also probably be exhausting. I'm just, I'm just, I'm putting myself in your shoes and I do see all the things that you do. And so that would be really hard for you to sort of go from not doing that to doing that all of the time. But I think we can be smart about picking which are the tasks or the people or the examples where I could start to do this, where it feels like, A, it might be the most realistic or it feels like it might be the most helpful for you in terms of freeing up that that space and kind of stopping that people-pleasing. And I think repetition as well, where someone's asking you to do the same thing multiple times, that for me would be a real trigger of yeah. I need to help this person to help themselves. So number seven is where you change who you are to fit in with the other people around you. And Sarah said, you know, that she's definitely recognised this in her career and I've definitely done it as well. And it has a name. It's called moulding or masking yourself. Um, and <laughs> Sounds it, bad, doesn't it? It does. It, it is bad. Actually, when you go and you look into the psychology of this, it basically links to us not having a stable sense of self. Like if we yeah. had a very stable, strong sense of self, we would attach ourselves to it. But when we don't, we start to attach and adapt like a chameleon like you said ourselves to other people and that's not great for us we lose ourselves along the way and we lose uh, what really makes us authentic and happy at work and so the thing that you want to invest in here the idea for action is really around understanding your values now admittedly this is not a quick thing you don't just you know sort your values out in 10 minutes but I think it is something that has really big benefits on your career not just for helping you to be authentic at work but for your general happiness over your career it's something that we talk about in our book the squiggly career it's something that we have covered on a podcast and we will link to that in the pod sheet because we really believe that this is sort of at the heart of having a career as individual as you are as you understanding your values so I would spend some time doing that engage with some of the lots of the resources that we've got to help you to understand your values which is really just what makes you you and what motivates and drives you. And then the other thing that you can do here so that you feel a bit more confident about yourself and your identity and your authenticity is spend time with people who you trust, who have some of the same values to you, or at least you feel like they may be different, but you can be yourself with them. Finding that community, which may or may not be in your company, it may be a group of people that you're part of a network outside of your company, but the fact that you can spend time with them, that you can be authentic, that there's a group of people that you don't have to mould and mask with can give you the confidence to be yourself in other situations too. I did quite a lot of moulding and masking when I was at BP. I was sort of trying to be like the other people in that organisation, which was quite different to me. But at the same time, I was part of the Marketing Academy community. That was when I first became part of that community. And it really helped me to feel confident in me. And over time, I was able to sort of bring a bit more of that into the company and then just feel a bit more authentic and that I didn't have to change myself completely. And number eight was about your sense of worth being wrapped up in other people's validation. So this was me describing myself being a bit needy from time to time slash week (laughs) week to week and we know the consequences if we continue with that I think the big one is you're not building your own self-belief your self-belief is relying on other people 
people that you can't control. And then you're creating this career development dependency. So I don't want my sense of motivation and meaning to come from what other people think. I want it to come from what I think about myself. Do I think I've done a good job? Did I try as hard as I could? Do I feel like I I put everything into something? And if that meant that something, you know, someone didn't find that useful, I don't want them, my self-belief to be shattered as a result of that because you're not going to get everything right all of the time. And also you're not going to please everyone all of the time. So we've both got a few ideas for action on this one because Sarah and I approach this one slightly differently. Because <laughs> I, I don't really think this is... I feel quite protected around this one. I don't feel like this is my That's because you're good at this, issue. that's why. You're not, like, you're not needy. No, I don't, think, I don't think I am needy. No, I think it's because I value freedom and I'm just like very independent. And there's another little mantra that I, I think I, I hold and embrace whenever I feel like I'm tipping out into somebody else's head a little bit too much, like worrying a bit too much about what they think or their opinion and that is less of you is more of me which is a bit of a funny thing but I think well if I think less about what you're doing and what you're thinking I can focus more on me and what I'm doing and what I'm thinking or what I want to achieve so I find that quite a useful sort of little mental mantra if I'm ever tipping towards worrying about what other people might think I'm doing and of my success and how I'm spending my time just the less of you is more of me and that that works for me to quickly get myself back on track. One of the things that has worked really well for me as I've been trying to work on this one, and I think I'm far from having completed this work, is thinking more about pride. And one of the things that we included in You Coach You is just a small idea for action was this idea of like a pride postcard. And I think rather than feeling connecting pride to what other people say about you or what other, you know, the feedback other people give you is asking yourself, like, what am I most proud of this week? What have I been really proud of this month? When have I felt really proud of myself? And so making that pride about my own reflections on me and my effort or I've tried something new or I was nervous about something and then I feel proud that I I definitely tried my hardest. It might not have been the best thing that I've done, but I, I kind of gave it my all or I got over a fear of something or perhaps I had a conversation where I disagreed with someone and managed to say present and felt like I contributed to that. So I was proud of myself. So for me... This idea of sort of writing my own pride postcards feels like it's starting to sort of take a bit more ownership of pride rather than falling into that kind of trap of worrying too much about what other people think about the work that we do. So rather than recap all of those eight different <laughs> probably too uh, many factors to and, yeah, and then those eight different ideas for action, we would suggest you download the pod sheet because it's all going to be there so that you can get clarity on what you could do differently. And as I said at the start, the link for that will be in the description or you can just go to the podcast page on our website, which is amazingif.com. And if you still can't find it, you can just email us. That's just Helen and Sarah at squigglycareers.com and we will send you the link. There is nothing that should get in the way of stopping these people-pleasing issues holding you back. So we hope you found that really useful. As always, send us any feedback or if you've got ideas for topics you'd like us to cover, we'd always love to hear them. But that's everything for now. We really appreciate you listening and we'll be back with you again soon. Bye for now. Bye, everyone. Hi, I'm Daniel, founder of Pretty Litter. 
Cats and cat owners deserve better than any old-fashioned litter. That's why I teamed up with scientists and veterinarians to create Pretty Litter. Its innovative crystal formula has superior odor control and weighs up to 80% less than clay litter. Pretty Litter even monitors health by changing colors to help detect early signs of potential illness. It's the world's smartest kitty litter. Go to prettylitter.com and use code ACAST for 20% off your first order and a free cat toy. Terms and conditions apply. See site for details. Hold up. What was that? Boring. No flavor. That was as bad as those leftovers you ate all week. Kiki Palmer here, and it's time to say hello to something fresh and guilt-free. Hello Fresh. Jazz up dinner with pecan-crusted chicken or garlic butter shrimp scampi. Now that's music to my mouth. Hello Fresh. Let's get this dinner party started. Discover all the delicious possibilities at hellofresh.com. 